0: Get started today at trylifeMD.com. That's t r y l i f e m d.com.
1: Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel America's number one sports book is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expires seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you
3: have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed, independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award-winning service has a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to PolicyGenius.com today. <laughs>
4: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're starting the first of three episodes with Jason. How you doing, Jason? I'm oh, doing really well, Ken. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's always a pleasure here. We're going to talk the next three nights about the matchups against the AFC North teams. Now, with what we know about the the schedule in May, we couldn't help, but it's actually it's June the 4th as we speak right now, and we're looking forward to to the regular season. Of course, still three months away, but we thought this is a great time to start talking about potential matchups here. We'll get another chance, I'm sure, as the seasons get closer and Know Your Foe episodes and whatnot, but we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals tonight and how they match up against the Ravens, some of the things we think the Ravens have to do offensively and defensively to try and win those matchups. So, Jason, why don't you take it away? We're going to start on the offensive side for the Bengals. Talk about what they have in terms of, of uh, resources. Just pick one thing, I guess, and I'll, then I'll do one. And, uh, and we'll talk about how that matchup might, might play out.
2: Sure. Well, I think that we'll both be around the same topic because the Bengals chose uh, Jamar Chase instead of addressing their offensive line excuse me so they're bringing back basically the same group that they had last year um, they added uh, Jackson Carmen in the draft they still have Jonah Williams at left tackle Michael Jordan Trey Hopkins their center and they had a lot of trouble um, addressing the Ravens pressure when Burrow was in the game the Ravens sacked him seven times so that group um, is pretty much back intact they did add Riley Reef Uh, at right tackle, which should help bring some veteran stability to that position. But that's another uh, area where the Ravens are going to look to exploit again this year.
4: Yeah, I think we could certainly talk for quite a long time on this particular topic. I I think they they did some positive things to address their line. In a lot of ways, I'm jealous of their draft, in a sense. They got the developmental tackle they needed in Deontay Smith, the East Carolina product who uh, was highly touted. Uh, on, on people's board, but mostly he's a length guy uh, who certainly is a little raw, but he's coming into a good situation where he's the Bengals' third tackle. Jonah Williams is going to be on the left side and Riley Reef on the right side, and and that'll give the Bengals, I think, a pretty solid start at tackle for the future. It's honestly pretty strong relative to a lot of other teams in the league. The Ravens obviously have an older guy at right tackle uh, in Villanueva, and, uh, you know, he, honestly, a lot of ways of backup left tackle, but they're. But they're The guy who they want as their starter long-term for the
2: Ravens, I don't think is on the team yet. Well, I think it's a big year for Jonah Williams, actually. A heck of a football player, but doesn't physically fit the uh, left tackle uh, prototypical length and everything else. And he kind of did a, an Orlando Brown when he came out of the draft, if I remember. That I'm a left tackle. And um, really, if they had him at guard, left guard, if he was working there, they could have a plus-plus player there. So this is going to be a really big year, I think, for Jonah Williams. And uh, that's part of the reason, I think, that it's, uh, it's a big thing for them to, to have. Riley Reef on the right side because it gives Burrow one less thing that he has to worry about. They have enough to worry about with the same uh, offensive coordinator, the same center and Trey Hopkins, Mm -hmm. and the Ravens loading the A-gap. They're really going to have to get that pressure right if they're going to take advantage of their receivers. Yeah, they they've they
4: picked on that well, really both a gaps, but the left a gap in particular last year in the game, uh, not not just withstanding simulated pressure, which is which is plenty useful. Where they just you know the line was not cohesive enough, in my opinion, to know who they were supposed to block, particularly in that first game, but they also stunted relentlessly. Uh, into that gap and and uh, that was part of that that big effort um, in in the first what six or seven sacks they had in the first Cincinnati game
2: yeah I have uh, seven sacks and uh, burrow won the day 19 to 30 183 yards only uh, 6.1 yards attempt. So he really struggled. I think a lot of those went to uh, Mixon actually had six receptions for 35 yards in that game. Mm-hmm. So it was dump-off city. It was it was check-down city for Burrow. He really had no chance. And that's something that he's going to have to, I, I believe he's going to have to take care of, getting his line and, and knowing what's going on, getting everybody lined up. Um, but that's really going to be a key to the Ravens and Bengals game because if they don't get that fixed, it's going to be a long day for him. Right,
4: they, 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 it's certainly it's the major point. The, the big player that I think addresses their need more, and he was my number two guard in this entire draft, which means I had him ahead of Ben Cleveland. Is Jackson Carmen, uh, who, who will play either left guard or right guard for this team. I'm not sure exactly where he'll play. A tackle, uh, like most <laughs> linemen who end up in the NFL, they were a tackle in college and they end up being playing somewhere else. But this year had a lot, as we know, of shorter armed offensive tackles who really don't have a likely future in the NFL there Brady Christensen one of the really good ones at BYU they've already pegged as a center so they've already decided he's going elsewhere and there's others like Liam Eikenberg and Carmen and, uh, and a handful of others that, that uh, probably end up at guard in their careers but Carmen is a pretty damn good one and uh, earth mover uh, got uh, reasonable mobility that is that is not a big shortcoming at least I don't think it's enough of a shortcoming at guard um, and uh, he should be pretty good one and, and the
2: When when the Bengals got him, it was a little bit of a twinge of, of pain to me. He's, he was a favorite of mine, too. I liked him and actually Kendrick Green, who went to the Steelers. So I got, I got double-chopped double on that one. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how quickly he, he's able to get into the lineup. I think he's a left guard. I, I think you agree with that just because of his mobility. And um, it'll be interesting to see if he's ready to go uh, week one. We don't play the Bengals till week seven, so maybe he enters the lineup at that time. So he might be a player that we see. But but overall, it it starts and ends with the offensive line. The the weapons the Bengals have are nice, but they're really going to have to fix the pressure issues. Yeah,
4: the the Bengals are
2: still playing the Price
4: right now. Uh, That's actually a a play on words there that I did not intend. For the 2018 number 1 pick, Billy. Uh, at twenty first, Billy Price. There you go. And so he's in his fourth year now. I, there's no way they picked up his fifth year option. I didn't check, but but if they did, they're fools. Uh, he started only one season so far at, out of his uh, out of his three, and he and he really has been a enormous disappointment. As, he. In a lot of ways, he's one of those players that, that continues to remind you that even though the guy's the best center prospect in the draft, it doesn't mean he's one of the top 32 players. And it certainly doesn't mean you draft him in the first round, just because his center is a, is a position that other linemen can gravitate to when they fail due to length issues at guard, for example. Uh, and, and it's, it's just, it's, it's not the position you try and fill first. It's, it's like drafting your designated hitter with your first round draft right. pick in baseball. Just it doesn't make
2: sense. Yeah. That's a good analogy. I didn't think of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can move to center guards, move to center all the time. I mean, we might see it on our team with Bredesen. He's uh, probably his best. uh, Well, and Bredesen too. Or Bredesen. Yeah. Right. Bredesen too. I mean, he's so short that uh, if he's going to make the team, he might, he might need to be uh, capable of snapping a ball. So, but, uh, but yeah, to your point, um, you know, I, I guess it's nowhere to go, but up when it comes to the Bengals offensive line. So, um, you know, but I, I'm still I, I'm i not as impressed as, say, you were with their with their draft, because I don't think it's going to make a difference uh, as far as playing the Ravens, say a, a good front like the Ravens. Good I Ravens. love Deontay Smith, though. That was the guy that I was studying when I saw Stevens, uh, Brandon Stevens, for the first time. And uh, I really liked his physical makeup. I think he's going to be uh, good a, a good player in another year or two. Now
4: let's. Uh, I, I guess we'll go on to mine now. If we're done with the, with the offensive line, even though I think it's a it's a good group that you could certainly discuss a lot further. The the interesting pick, and this will be a big change in Cincinnati. AJ Green, uh, apparently done with the Bengals. You know, he's I don't I don't believe he's been signed anywhere at present. So uh, I guess it's possible he could still come back. But given you know what he looked like on the bench and, and more importantly on the field this last season, I don't know why the Bengals would want him back. And they they go out and they get Jamar Chase uh, with their first round draft pick number six overall, right? I think it was five. It was number five, five. yes. So uh, Chase is a guy who adds to a very deep and talented receiving core that'll now have Tyler Boyd, I I assume, in the slot where he's dangerous as hell. Uh, T. Higgins, a player I really coveted for the Ravens uh, two years ago. And uh, now Jamar Chase, who's uh, you know the number one receiver out of this draft. So uh, exciting group of players, certainly they have. And, and one of the keys for the Ravens is going to be how they take away those options early for Burrow. Burrow is a very deadly mid-range passer. And these guys could create a lot of easy pitch and catch opportunities for
2: him, uh, whether whether that's mid-range or whether some, some shots get taken deep. They're going to get somebody this year. This is this is a team that's on the up and coming because of that. And I don't think the Ravens are. I, I don't think the Ravens are the best matchup for them, because of the secondary depth and because we addressed uh, a possible issue. If somebody goes down, we have Sean Wade now. At this point, we have Everett that can play on the outside or Jimmy Smith that can match up with someone bigger. But if they don't get us, Ken, they're going to get somebody. And I'm looking at a team like the Steelers who who lost something in their secondary where I kind of I kind of like the Bengals in that matchup not to get too far off topic but there's a team that you would say well the Steelers are probably be- better than the Bengals mm-hmm. but the Bengals are going to match up really well against them because the Steelers may have trouble scoring and they're susceptible in the secondary so um right. you know Chase and Burrow's uh college connection i don't see anything that's going to stop them from clicking from day one i think i mean he scored how many 18 20 touchdowns and before he Mike dropped in the sec a couple of years ago it was something <laughs> ridiculous so um having a number one i think will really help t higgins in this in his second year and then tyler boyd's just a, a steady steady eddie guy
4: yeah, it's, a, it's certainly a very dangerous receiving core. And, and a lot of people will look at the Ravens secondary and their cornerbacks in particular and say they're the guys who really need to take away options for Burrow. But I actually think it's, it's, it's the rest of the guys who can be involved in the pass rush who also play a very significant point. It's, the, it's Tyus Bowser getting to the right spot on the field, and understand what's going on behind him in the passing game to impact a play. It's the fact that um, you know the Ravens drop defensive linemen to cover, move them laterally, or move their linebackers laterally, because that's a good use of them, and take away passing lanes from Burrow that creates extra time for the pass rush to get home. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the plays I just loved last year, and this, this goes back to a way that Maureen and I watched the game, uh, and we don't watch it in real time when they're playing on the road, or in this case at home, I think because of COVID, yeah, this was at home, and and uh, it was it was the first game, and and I don't know if you remember it, but uh, Patrick Queen had a great come from behind cleanup sack where Burrow took forever to get rid of the ball and ended up moving left. As soon as he stopped moving left, first of all, I can I'm continually pausing and going fast forward just a, a few frames to try and make sure we pick up all the uniform numbers on the field for our defensive score sheet. Mercy, and, and, and so they knew we had them all, <laughs> and I'm like I see Patrick Queen. Here and I see Burrow here and there's no way he can get his feet set in time. Even though there's like three steps between them, and I go
2: Queen's gonna get a sack and this might come out. And, and sure enough, boom, he, he got the sack and the ball came loose. And there was and, nowhere to go with the ball either. He was yeah. staring down. I believe it was Humphrey on the on left the on his left side, right. Yeah. Humphrey playing on the right side. There's nowhere to go to give the ball. And man, Patrick Queen, what a blitzer! I mean, Great the way he, the way his closing speed and his change of direction, like he could be going full speed straight ahead and make a sharp right um as soon as the quarterback steps up i mean that's something that translated right away for Paxton queen but uh but yeah that that was a that was a fun play and it was probably queen's favorite play of the of the year too because he got his former teammate on that got the forced fumble i think he recovered the fumble and got up pounded his chest pretty sure it was him that that forced it and uh got the sack forced fumble and the recovery that mm-hmm. trick there yeah, but uh, Bowser Bowser got the forced fumble that Queen recovered and took took to the house. I think, maybe not. I'm, I may have that wrong anyway. But yeah, but- and then we also had in that game. You're talking about that was the. No, that was the Browns game I was thinking of. Never mind. I apologize the for that. The Campbell play? Yeah, yeah, but, but the, the Bengals do not have a threat at tight end, really. A true receiving threat. Mm-hmm. So that helps the Ravens because we've struggled against tight ends and it's an area I'm kind of concerned about this year. How we're going to match up with your Kelseys and your Wallers and your Browns tight ends and that kind of thing. But Drew Sample has never wasn't considered a receiving threat out of college. Hasn't done really much at the NFL level and then C.J. Isama a, a little bit, but he it's not somebody that scares you. Like I, I feel like we could put Chuck Clark on him and, and be fine. Whereas yeah. we we try that with Kelsey and Waller, it's that's where we start having issues. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And, and you know, one of the things I was asking
4: the Bengals guy about this, uh, and this was Jake Liscau, was that uh, is this a team that might do well playing 10 personnel against the Ravens? Because that's something that gave the Ravens trouble. And if you're willing to nickel and dime underneath uh, with with four receivers, if you play a lot of bunch formations like we saw from the Steelers, like we saw from Kansas City in that horrible week, week two, week three game, whichever it was, um, it, that that's a nightmare for, for the Ravens. And, and as – deep as the Ravens are in the middle of the season they didn't have the ability to go four deep at corner and in particular they didn't have a, they didn't have the ability to go too deep at slot and so Terrell Bonds ended up on the field and he got picked on a little bit in the second half against the Steelers it seems like the Bengals if you got three great receivers and then you got you have a fourth guy you like well I'd give that a shot if I mean you're, you're not going to get anything
2: extra in terms of pass protection I don't believe even that drew sample me too. And yeah, I, t- I tell you what, I, I think he, uh, the Bengals guy, I think he undersold Mike Thomas a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very quick slot receiver. So uh, to build on your point, they could have their three guys out there, their main three, and then either go with Auden Tate or Mike Thomas, who are complete opposite receivers. Auden Tate's a big, I think he's six six, possession receiver, end zone yep. threat. They could really match up on us. Maybe we have either Averts out and they want to put uh, the quick guy in, or maybe um, – you know, Jimmy Smith's out and they want to put Alden Tate in a bigger body to make Averitt match up on him. Um, so, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I I think the Bengals played a ton of 11 personnel. I mean, comparatively to the other oh, the rest yeah. of the league, not just I mean, everybody plays a lot of 11. But I think the Bengals are and Zach Taylor specifically is is in a, a ride and die with 11. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, You know, Auden Tate, you mentioned, is a guy who went
4: off against the Ravens. I don't remember if it was in – I think it was in in 2019. And so so the Bengals lost the game. But Auden Tate might have had seven, eight receptions in that game.
2: Uh, yeah. for, for a bunch of yards but he had, had one very big game against the Ravens and I think he had a, a little toe tap lean at the, the back mm-hmm. of the end zone by the goal post in the middle of the end zone um, He's he's got great body control it's not just mm-hmm. that he's 6'6 it's 6'6 with good body control and that's got to be frustrating for Bengals fans that they sit there and they've they've really had I mean they get the best quarterback to come out a lot of people said in you know a handful of years in Joe Burrow and they just patchwork the line and we Seen here in Baltimore that you can't just go with five OK linemen to start the season. Stuff mm-hmm. is going to happen. You better have seven or eight guys that you can do the job. And um, so they got Auden Tate on the bench. They have um, Mike Thomas, who is, is a my guy on the bench. But they still have uh, some question marks on the O line. It's it's kind of unbalanced. They're not building, uh, you know, from the inside out. Yeah, last point I'll just make on the on the offense there is that the Ravens have tried to go
4: with lesser offensive line. They obviously lost Ronnie Stanley, which was very bad last year, uh, in addition to having Yon to retire. But the Ravens are in a much better position to do it than the Bengals because Lamar Jackson makes all of the offensive line responsibilities a little less. Yet, when you have to come from behind, when you have to pass a lot, you really need to make sure you have a decent offensive line. We saw that in the playoffs again against Buffalo. We saw it even during the regular season some, uh, that, that uh, Lamar can really feel some significant heat. If there is
2: he's in a position where he has to pass on all three downs. And it, it doesn't take much. I, mean, I just did a video on Lamar scrambles, and it's it's always one thing. You know what I mean? It's the one guy, the one guy on the line blows it, or Lamar's first read is getting jammed, and next thing you know, it's it's a blown play, and Lamar's scrambling. So, you know, that that goes back to um, the Bengals, you know, it's gonna be hard for their personnel to hold up against Brandon Williams, Derek Wolf, Campbell, uh McPhee on the end side whatever kind of pressure we're going to bring i'm confident the ravens can find a mismatch and um and i really like the way the ravens match up with the Bengals. talent level aside you know if you say they're equal Mm -hmm. talent where their talent is uh it matches our talent matches up well with theirs right I, i think let's flip over the defensive side of the ball now so a lot of a lot of ways for the ravens to attack the Bengals, but start with one of yours I think the run game is the most obvious. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the statistics, and, uh, you know, they they had a big turnover. They lost Geno Atkins, uh, helped me out with the names, Dunlap left, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Lawson, the Lawson, guy I yeah. really liked, and uh, it's pretty much a, a whole new front. Um, DJ Reader, I believe, sat out last year. They signed him last year. Mm-hmm. And then the one guy who always seems to play, great against us, and every time I look at his grades or the message boards uh, in Cleveland, where he came from, they were ragging on him as Ogunjobi. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. I mean, I, Ogunjobi has like every big game against the Ravens, including week
4: one of last year when that Browns team lost 38-6. to six. But the Browns really dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage, offensively and defensively. They, they did And I've never, never seen that in an NFL game before that I can recall. A team getting beat by
2: 32 when they win both line matchups. It just, it just doesn't happen. Exactly. And, um, you know, I, I I, think that the the Bengals are going to have a real hard time holding up to this new Ravens offensive configuration because they don't have much depth. And they, they drafted mm-hmm. Osai, I think, what was he the third round. It was kind of a steep. Deal. Mm-hmm. but he's a converted uh inside linebacker he's still got a lot to learn if they're going to play him on the edge and then of course they got trey hendrickson sam hubbard is a really good player now i like him but uh other than that you go across that Bengals front they've replaced a lot of people and um i i really don't know if it's an upgrade i mean i know atkins was getting old and uh but dunlap was still a heck of a player he kind of fell out of favor there and uh lawson yeah, gave Orlando Brown a lot of problems uh, compared to other edge rushers that Orlando faced. They have, they have two good young guys coming in on the
4: defensive line um, who are, uh, you know, we're highly thought of uh, college prospects. Cameron sample out of Tulane is a guy I watched some film on. Because I was Patrick, Jones or Johnson, I always get that wrong, was on the other side with him. They were number 5 and 7. I was kind of getting the treat of watching them both uh, a little bit, particularly in that game against Tulsa. But he's a pretty good player. Uh, Tyler Shelvin uh, is a mountain of a man, and I think – The comparisons, if you if you want to pick a player of that type, you know they're going to want to pick Brandon Williams, and we're going to say it's really more like Mount Cody. Probably ends up being somewhere in in between, but I think he's characteristic. He's got more characteristics of Mount Cody than he does of uh,
2: Brandon Williams. Well, I I I think Tyler Sheldon's. uh is a looks like Tarzan, but I'm not sure how he plays. I mean, I don't want to say insult the man, but, uh, he's, he's built for the NFL, but I just didn't see it in his play. Um, cam sample, Almost the opposite. He's not he's not your prototypical 6'4", uh, 6'5", six, six, big Hawking lineman, but he's got some style in his game and some toughness. So I do like Cam Samble. Um, again, they're younger players. You know, younger players coming, and we're talking about the how they're going to hold up against the Ravens rushing attack. It's going to be a big challenge for them, and then they really don't have a sack guy. They don't have a go-to sack guy. Well, let's start with that. It's really a team effort to hold up against the Ravens rushing, and a lot of things went wrong
4: in- in that Week 17 game. Uh, Jermaine mm-hmm. Pratt ran his mouth. The Ravens decided to run it right down the throat, and Pratt made a lot of the mistakes that made that really look bad. Um, but but that, that led to the 404-yard game uh, in addition to Everybody on that defense had given up in the second half.
2: That just, was, yeah. I was gonna say, I'm sorry, that was my big takeaway. I, <laughs> I remember during the draft show we had, I believe, his name's James. If James is listening, hello, James. But he asked me about Cologne Castillo, and uh, you know he graded out well, played well. And I was, mm-hmm. I was trying to say, I, 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 you know, I hate the question of professionals' effort, but that was the last week of the season. They were getting crushed, and I just didn't see it. Um, you know, I just didn't see any effort on the Bengals' side that last game. But even in the first. Game. If you go back to when the Ravens won twenty-seven to three, we had uh, twenty-four rushes, one hundred and sixty-one yards, which is six point seven. So even when there was something to play for earlier in the season, we had our way with that defensive line and linebackers yeah. and it's they, they
4: really did beef up there so so it, I think part of what I want to say about this being a group effort is that a team like this in particular that's maybe a little bit below the line in terms of the average level of player they have on the line they really need to have a deep rotation of players um, the worst thing you can have is what happened to the Ravens at midseason last year where not only are they thin at the position but they also the guy you've got in there isn't really up to snuff and can't play a lot of snaps so you end up with a, with a guy like Ellis, who is not a bad NFL player, you know, he's, he's fine if he get, if he takes 15 to 25 snaps a game as your backup nose tackle, even maybe a little bit less than that. But in that right. range is fine. When, he, when you ask him to play 57 snaps, you're you're, you're guaranteeing failure basically. It's, it's it's not a guy who's going to hold up for that. And and this is something elsewhere in the division. All four of those, all three of those teams, sorry, all play a much heavier workload on their top guys than the Ravens do. Are much more rotational about what they play and even with somebody like Calais Campbell last year before he got hurt they were playing him a hell of a lot less than he had played
2: in in his uh, previous five years where he played between 77-80% and of snaps and the Bengals stick out you mentioned the rest of the division but the Bengals stick out I mean it seemed like they had the same four guys up there forever and mm-hmm. they never came out of the game and I don't, I don't think they did their team a very good service by that um, you know with the Ravens we're lucky it seems like every couple of years we'll draft someone at least in the mid rounds, work them into the rotation, keep people fresh. The Bengals really wore out, uh, Atkins, especially, I thought. Um, you know, here's a guy whose sack total just dropped right off the cliff, but he was playing, I believe, I, I, I apologize for not having it, but I think he was up in the 70%, 80% of the snaps consistently. Yeah, talking. man, I, look it up while I'm talking, because I, I tell you, I, I think Atkins was really heavy on the snaps there and then uh, Dunlap and, uh, and Lawson as well. Yeah, so from 2015 to 19,
4: he was hurt in 2020 and, and, and only played eight games and 11% of snaps. But from 2015 to, to 19, he played 73, 72, 66, 70, and 76. And I can just tell you the number of times that a Ravens defensive lineman has played 70% of the snaps, I counted them up once recently, and it's a, it's a remarkably low total. Uh, Greg did it once, Nada might have done it twice, uh, but the Ravens really haven't had anybody since they moved to the three four otherwise who's
2: been in that at that kind of uh, percentage. I wouldn't be surprised if they subbed Reeder in and out and use Tyler Shelvin or Mike Daniels that they also have on the bench, a big, big run Mm -hmm. stuffer there from former Green Bay Packer, because Reeder opted out last year. He's a a very big man, so I could see them maybe uh, substituting a little bit more, but, um, I mean, they have the same defensive coordinator, um, so who knows what they're going to do. But if they're facing a team like the Ravens or a team like the Browns in the division, they're really going to have to keep those big guys fresh up there. Yeah, it, it, it seems to make sense. A lot of teams play a 4 3. They just.
3: If you have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed, independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award winning service has a five star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today. Don't rotate as
4: much, but uh, you know if they're going to 3-4, that probably means they realize the need for more full-time down linemen big bodies and will, will get what they, what they need in terms of rotation. I, it just seems the Ravens have been so good for so long, and they've always been a rotational team. I don't see why everybody is not trying to mirror them that plays a 3-4 you know, in terms of, of having a rotational group that you like, but everybody, it's a, you know, it's a game of contrasting styles. And, and, you know, it's a, Bill James once wrote that every game, um, every game of chess he, he had, he was quoting some friend of his was like an argument over how the game should be played. And that's kind of what the NFL is. There's a lot of contrasting styles. It makes for a great game, by the way, when you have people who think we, we should run the ball all the time and beat the crap out of our opponents, or we should pass the ball all the time because, Hey, it's a passing league. And you have more advantages relative to the rules to do that. It's great when you have that. The Baseball had that in the 1970s in terms of contrasting styles of play, and they've lost that. Now everybody is home run walk, strikeout. I think the game's a lot more dull.
2: Great you had your uh, you had your Royals and your uh, Cardinals you with Ozzy Smith on the carpet, laying it down, mm-hmm. playing the speed game, and yeah, you know, of course you had your old Weavers and some different style of those old Milwaukee Brewers with Rob Deere and man, uh, Robin Yount and all those home run guys, but uh, but yeah, like. You know, I always say that this is a game of matchups in any way. I mean, you may you may have guys who struggle with quickness. You may have guys who struggle with power. So it doesn't really matter sometimes who's technically a better player or your starter. Um, if you're going against a, a player that struggles with power, put your stronger guys in there. Um, let them play a little bit heavier rotation of snaps. So I think the Bengals would serve themselves well uh, by doing that. But the Ravens and Wink, they're, they're masters of it okay so let's rather than comparing the ravens defense to the to the bengals
4: defense sure let's, sure let's talk about how the ravens offense given how they're constituted, needs to attack that defensive line and some of the potential depth issues, some of the potential issues with non-rotation. Um, do you think basically that running a scheme with a lot of pulling guards, uh, a, a lot of uh, power read is, is a system that makes sense to continue with against the Bengals as, as the base way to
2: maintain possession, and, and win the snap count? I sure would. I mean, I, I don't see too much of a difference. If anything, I, I think we should attack the edges of this team, um, run right at Hubbard. Uh, since he's their best player, you know, double team him, maybe um, have your pullers uh, maybe come towards the right side. If you want to check that in, test out Trey Hendrickson. He doesn't have a, a, a reputation to run defense. They're going to put uh, Osai out there, run right at Osai. So I would I, I kind of feel like we're going to attack the edges more overall this year. But uh, this would be the team where I would go off tackle with J.K. Dobbins a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. Dobbins had 13 for 160 against them in that last game yeah that that was obviously that was a big part including the big seventy two yard run where
4: he kind of stiff armed pratt on the play and and uh left him to his comments over the winter but that was a, that was just a that was a wonderful wonderful play for all elements of that i, I Here's my question on Hubbard. Okay, now there is obviously some great linemen in the league, T.J. Watt in the division, certainly Miles Garrett in the division, where I think it makes a lot of sense for the Ravens just to ignore blocking them on run plays a lot of the time and let Jackson beat them. Hubbard is a guy I think actually, despite lacking some of the quickness, to deal with a player like Jackson has made better judgments in the game in terms of just guessing sometimes when that's appropriate because if mm-hmm. if you don't guess Jackson will make you be wrong so you may as well guess and in a lot of times and and I thought that you know this year I one of the things I'm projecting is that Jackson is going to be back in terms of uh, his groin and his ability to have some of the quickness that we saw in 2019 for the power read to run outside. So last year, of course, most of his runs came to the inside, where where most of the running backs were mostly headed to the outside. If, If we're back to that, we're back to right tackle leaves the defensive end unblocked, or that outside linebacker unblocked, you end up with a really easy game for your right tackle, which, by the way, the Ravens might really want that with their current personnel. Sure, sure. Uh, So what do you think about that? Does that seem like a reasonable way? More power read, more outside opportunities for Jackson. And does
2: it make sense against a player like Hubbard? It does, and I'm sure that we'll see some of that. But actually, I, I really feel like we're going to see a, a, a little bit of a difference in our running game overall. Just playing it more straight up and not depending on the read option as much because of guys like Ben Cleveland, and not just because Cleveland's a good player, but because we have a stronger player at center now. Mm-hmm. You have Bradley Bozeman that can handle some bodies up there. You have Zeitler that can handle some bodies. So when you're talking about the interior of our O line, I, I think we can push people around a little bit better um, than we have in the past. But for this Bengals matchup, you look, they have some big, beefy guys in the middle. And that's why I said this might be the game where we attack the edges. Um, Yeah, and... Uh, I remember, uh, to get to your point about not blocking the end, I mean, I remember when we were playing Kaepernick in the Super Bowl, Suggs just decided he was going after Kaepernick every single play, yep. trying to hit him, at least just hug him, scare him, you know, right. put a hand on him every time and just let the uh, Haloti nada and the guys do their thing on the inside before Holodi got hurt, which really changed that game. Quarterback is not protected under that
4: situation. So if you go after the quarterback and you tackle him after a handoff and and there's a fake involved or potentially even involved, you can tackle him. He's not protected like, the, like he is as a passer. So uh, you should you should certainly take every opportunity you can under those circumstances. Uh, I, I love the the Ravens' chances against the Bengals this year to, to, to run the football effectively, and I think we just are going to get a sweet taste, finally, of what really top pass blocking looks like with having Cleveland and Zeitler on the inside. Cleveland, as good a, a run blocker as he potentially is, and I think he can be coached up at the NFL level, level, uh, really is a great college pass blocker. And a lot of what he does technically, I just love as a pass blocker. So I think we'll see that, uh, I hope, from week one this year. Zeitler, obviously a, a, a terrific uh, pass blocker as well, has enough length to, to open the gate at right tackle, at right guard, sorry. So I think he can do both things the Ravens really need him to do. I also think Cleveland will have no problem pulling at the NFL level, but I'm very excited to see what this offensive line, particularly guard does this year.
2: So Ken, what do you think about um, my philosophy and my best guess that we're going to see less uh, read option, less pistol, maybe more shotgun under center and just run a more conventional run game. It's just my overall feel, and I haven't you more it More under center, you're, you're you're predicting? Maybe more under center, but uh, just basically less read option. We don't have to go with the inverted option when the regular read option fails. We mm-hmm. can just run inside power gap schemes, that kind of thing, and just kind of keep it, keep it simple and uh, have Lamar run a little less. I think he's going to run a, a little bit less this year on design runs. I mean, first of all, that could certainly be true.
4: Lamar running less makes a lot of sense in the long term in terms of keeping your franchise quarterback all set. The Ravens have not yet committed to him, but but it certainly is – uh, something that makes long-term sense I think the Ravens offense and the Roman offense in general does best when there are multiple points of threat and decision for the defense mm-hmm. so basically they have to they have to make a choice and they run the risk of being wrong on each one of those and and the reason why that's so effective is when they're wrong it's usually in level two or level three and it can be the kind of mistake that turns a eight-yard play into a 50-yard play instead of turning a two-yard play into a six-yard play just the stakes are much higher so it's i i you know we saw van Der Esch and and him getting out of position right one of the big runs that michael crawford looked at when uh, when he was on the show with josh Puseka was was looking at uh that philadelphia eagles run where lamar got free for a touchdown and basically a lot of things went right for the ravens on the play they made a couple good blocks certainly but uh, you know orlando brown moved up to level two didn't even have anybody to beat on yeah. uh, you know who was right. scraping because because they all ran themselves out of position and and uh, Skura actually missed his block uh, but they got Andrews to basically be doubled up on the outside for no good reason and, and it's it's when they do things like that and the and the other team will run them out of position run themselves out of position if you threaten them in multiple ways and I just I love the way that offense works and and a lot of the criticism of Roman I'm just I'm tired of hearing I'm not gonna try and educate the messages on this I'm not I, you know other than you know talking about it here but it's not saying like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say something to every Twitter complain about it because it's just not who I am. Uh, right. I just but I don't really believe it. I think that Roman is perfect for the talent on this offense in terms of, of creating
2: a scheme that will be optimal. That's gonna be something I'm looking for this year, Ken, because I've i I for some reason have this sneaking suspicion that the offense is just gonna look Different, like to to a casual fan, to the not casual fan, the average Ravens fan, Mm -hmm. they're going to say, "Hey, wait a minute, why isn't Lamar dashing to the outside all the time anymore?" Well, my answer is because we have better talent on the interior of offensive line. But I like your point. I wanted to add one more to it. When you're talking about the stress and the big playability, it also creates a second of indecision when you Mm -hmm. have all these moving parts. You have two pulling guards this way, but you have a running back going that way, and then is Lamar going to keep it himself? And if he does, where is he going to go? I mean, really, all you need is a split second in this game to have right. the advantage. So that's that's what I think is the beauty of uh, Roman's scheme. So I I had never really thought about what you said about the big play because I tell you what, I would not want to play safety with Dobbins yeah. and Lamar coming full or speed. middle linebacker. I mean, you know, you're it's
4: you're you know you're going to be under a microscope in terms of your play if you're an inside linebacker for that team.
2: Right. I mean, think about Kevin Byard, a really good tackler, and this was on a scramble, not a design run in the playoffs, but it was a total whiff job. I mean, yeah, Lamar Lamar changes, well, I can't even say it was a bad angle because Lamar just changes the darn angles all the time, man. It's, (laughs) it's, you think you have it and there it goes. It's like a a ball hit right at you that next thing you know, it's going over your head. Like what (laughs) happened? I had it. I had it. (laughs) All right, uh, all kinds of fun. So, do we have
4: anything else we want to talk about in offense? Let's talk about the passing game a little bit. And you know, with against the Bengals, this is certainly an issue. The Bengals' strengths at safety—that's uh, absolutely where they are strongest. They have Jesse Bates is one of the best safeties in the game at free safety. And by the way. I've, I've mentioned this on other shows. I, I, I don't really want to say it every time, but I can't resist this time. When any other team tells you they have a versatile safety group, and every player can be an A or a B or a C in terms of we can bring them up, we can play at a dime, he can play in the box, he can play back. Whatever. What yeah. they really are telling you
2: is they don't have a single free safety. That's yeah, what that, they're telling you. <laughs> that's that's fluff. That's fluff. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we're guilty of it, too. Neither one of our safeties are mm. true, true free safety. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's nice to have flexibility, but the free safety, the true free safety is a dying breed. And, you know, if I'm Eric DaCosta, I'm looking at Jesse Bates. I don't know what his contract situation is. Maybe you ask your Bengals guy. I'm sure they're trying to exercise some kind of uh, contract extension with him. But, man, he would look good on this defense. I like him, man. Von Bell, Von Bell is good at what he does. He's your thumper. He can play in the box. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how we throw the ball or attack them. Because I can tell you one thing: I'm not going to miss William Jackson the Third. No, uh, thank goodness no, he's uh, gone. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that, too, even though
4: you know, Boykin had some pretty good success run blocking against him. I agree. That's, that's, a, that's a guy I'm happy to see gone. Um, getting back to free safety for a moment, the Ravens have really shown a willingness both to go after a free safety high, um, but also to trade for, sorry, to, to uh, acquire one in free agency. I mean, both Weddle and Thomas were guys they paid big money for. Uh, to come here, and they got good value out of Weddle. They got three of the four years of his contract done before they released him, which is what you would hope in a normal deal. You probably are not going to end up paying that fourth year salary. You're going to release the guy. With Thomas, they didn't get good value. Obviously, I think we'd agree on that. Um, but I think there's there's a good realization within the organization that if. If you don't trade for that guy, you probably have to draft him in the first round. And where the Ravens draft, you might not get him. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very hard position. Free safety, left tackle, and quarterback are three first-round positions. I, I, I'm not completely bought into the nature that Ravens need to spend a, a, a first-round pick on a wide receiver every time, but I'm, I'm very much brought into the, to the notion
2: that if you're drafting one of those three positions, it better be in the first round safety is a position close to my heart it's where my where my playing experience comes and I can tell you it's it's a quarterback of the defense whether they're calling the plays or whether they're not because you have to have somebody that number one doesn't mess it up but see one of my issues of why I'm lower on stone than other guys I know that stone is a guy that you like is because he's too safe like he's always in the right position he takes that extra he's not a great athlete but you can say hey stone graded well there he was in the right spot stone graded well there he was in the right spot but he's not coming up and smacking people like Elliot and he's not going yeah. necessarily sideline to sideline and getting his hands on a lot of passes that is uh, it's becoming a unicorn man That's a uh, it's it's something to come out for if, if there's a great free safety coming out of the draft. It's somebody that I want to target. And it even makes me wonder about a guy like Malik Hooker, who I think is still out there. Um, if he could be had for a good price and see if you can take a chance and keep him healthy, revive his career. Yeah. It's, it's, it'd be an interesting choice for the Ravens because they've got six safeties already
4: right now. Right. Uh, right. You know, if it, they'd, they'd be committed to ditching stone, they'd probably be committed to ditching at least one of Richards and Levine, which I think is going to happen anyway. Um, and then they have, they, they just picked up Brandon Stevens who I think the fact that they used a third round pick on the guy and the fact that I don't think anybody really had him on their board. He probably easily could have had him in the fifth round. Easily could have had him with their last pick, in my opinion. Um, maybe they thought somebody else was sniffing around, but uh, they've got to think he's a free safety of the future. Or you, you don't. There's no way in hell you, you put that kind of draft capital into him.
2: Well, he's got the athletic, uh, athleticism for it. And, um, you know, I always err on the side of, Hey, we don't know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are on the phone, their scouts are talking to our scouts. And if they had a inkling that somebody wanted them, but I mean, I, I had Tyler and Wallace way ahead of, I didn't even have Stevens on my board. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was a shocking pick, but once I digested it, I mean, secondary is a good, was a good place for us to address. But as it relates to the, to the Bengals secondary, I mean, to stray off topic, uh, Andrews was our go-to guy. Andrews and Hollywood were basically mm-hmm. the only ones who produced, and I think that that was a function of the the Bengals not having a third safety or a, a third or fourth cornerback that they really liked. They they have Mike they have Mike Hilton in the slot now, which is going to help them. But uh, I can see Andrews again eating versus this team. Are the Ravens positioned better now with say
4: Sammy Watkins either in the slot or at the X? And uh, perhaps it'll mean number five goes to the slot and we see Bateman um, at, at one of the two outside positions. Are they better off? Trying to take advantage of the Bengals' corners. Obviously, William Jackson's gone. You start the, we start with that. That's a good thing. And Mike Hilton, while he was good, I mean, a lot of what makes him good is kind of some of the things that made Webb good. And it's not necessarily what he does in terms of coverage directly from the slot. It's more, you know, he's a good tackler. He's great at right. rushing the passer from the slot. Um, you know, with with Pittsburgh, a lot of rotational coverages that they did confused the Ravens. And I, I thought he, you know, he's an effective part of that. But in terms of just his
2: pure coverage ability. Hilton's good. He's, he's not great. Well, we'll talk about the other teams, but I think overall mm-hmm. in this division, it's going to be the cornerback, too, or the right cornerback specifically in this division, mm-hmm. um, w- which is where you're going to have to go. You're going to have to go after because you have your Denzel Wards uh, in this division, your number one quarters, your Haydens. Um, but if you're looking at the Bengals and you're looking to attack them, This is where Bateman's going to come into play. This is where Watkins is going to come into play. Or even a guy outside the box idea, a guy like Tylen Wallace. If you want to line him (laughs) up on the right side and let Hollywood move around and find a mismatch somewhere else, you can do that too. So um, I think the Ravens were very wise to upgrade their outside receivers. And Costa said, of course, he wanted statistics and analytics on the outside receivers because sometimes that's your best matchup. And I don't want to see us have to resort to dumping it off to Ricard to start the second half because we really don't have uh, any other option to go to. So um, big, big uh, indicator early in the season. And we have our division games. Like I said, the first division game is against these Bengals in week seven. So we're going to have some time to figure ourselves out before we get into the most important games. Very heavily backloaded schedule for the Ravens in those
4: terms. The Bengals, if folks read my article, have the easiest win schedule in the division. And, and when I say that, all, all the where and all the who is decided before the season ever begins. It's decided based on last year's records. So there wasn't any question about that. It's only the when. And the Bengals don't have any unfavorable Monday night games of their own. They play people coming off Monday night. They don't play anybody coming off a bye. They don't play a game in London. All the, all the nice things on their schedule. Their schedule worked out to a plus 17, while the Ravens are minus seven, the Steelers Steelers are minus 8 and the Browns are plus 12 within the division. So the the Browns and
2: and Bengals really got an easy break relative to the Ravens and Steelers this year. Right, and the the other thing is they play the same home and away games as us Mm -hmm. uh, as far as uh, common opponents. So they're going to have the Rams coming to them like we have the Rams coming to Coming to us, um, they're going to have the Chargers, or uh, excuse me, they're going to have. I have to go to the Raiders. Will probably be their their uh, biggest trip of the year. So you're talking about a lot of one o'clock games, and teams love their routine. Um, also, when you're talking about the when of the schedule, it's something that I look at is how rested the team is going going to be. When Cincinnati comes to town, uh, we're in the middle. It's the third game uh, of a four-game home stretch with a bye in there. So we're going to have our third straight home game. Cincinnati's going to be playing their second straight game on the road. So there's an advantage there, rest-wise and travel-wise, uh, to the Ravens in Week Seven. And then later on in the season, the tables turn. The bank we go to Cincinnati will be our third road game out of four games, while Cincinnati's having their fourth home game in five weeks. So it's it's a lot of, lot of th- stuff to think about, but just to break it down, when they come to town, we're going to be pretty well-rested. They're going to be road-worn and vice versa when we go to Cincinnati later.
4: Well, let's hope that holds up. And, and this is an important part of this matchup episode is that, you know, we're projecting this in early June Mercy. for a week <laughs> seven matchup. That's wait, early November, I guess, or, or just about there. So uh, there's a we realize that some things will change between now and then. In terms of the the injuries, and in terms of who stars for some of these teams among their young players, I mean Rashad Bateman may be a great player at that point. Talon Wallace may have had a, a big breakout and and become an important player for the Ravens. You know uh, Ben Cleveland could be hurt. I mean you know things could be very different than they are right now. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll we'll hope you take this with a grain of salt, but it's also just you know talking about some of the kind of inherent strengths and weaknesses of these teams as they're constituted right now, how they. Match up. It's an interesting topic to have while you're waiting for training camp to begin.
2: Well, Ken, I know we're running late, but uh, I, I tell you that the, your point right there makes me think of depth. And when mm-hmm. it comes to depth, advantage Ravens. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna be cutting some pretty darn good players. Where uh, the Bengals' depth you, you're talking about on their defense, Khalid Kareem, Wyatt Hubert, Tyler Shelvin, Cam Sample. They have a bunch of unproven guys. You know, so mm-hmm. um, if if it's a war of attrition, you know, obviously we want to see all the players stay healthy. Um, The Bengals, especially up front, can't play any games, man. They've got to keep their players uh, healthy and fresh. Yeah, I I would agree. I think the Ravens' depth is is, uh, near the top of the
4: league. Uh, One of the things to look at with the Ravens is they only took nine UDFAs this year. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a low total for the Ravens. Uh, and that's among their starting 90. It may be zero make the team. The larger practice squad this year. Another thing, by the way, we haven't talked about this a little bit. I do want to have a separate pod on this topic. But the, uh, the rules, I, I am told are likely to be adopted. I, saw this, I, I wasn't told it directly, but I saw on Twitter one of the uh, NFL talking heads had mentioned that, that it's likely to, might have been Pellicero, uh, uh, that the players and owners are going to agree on the three-week IR to continue and the 16 player practice squad. So that's a, a big thing. We'll have practice squad, elevations, We'll have you know, three weeks to return players I mean teams that have really good depth are going to be that much more deep throughout the season. The Ravens used to have some games they could play to do that, but this is going to make it uh, uh, codified in the in the regular
2: rules. Well, those two rules just make so much sense because you want to see good football. Mm-hmm. And, and guys don't want to get up and move from city to city and, and go back and forth between two teams. I mean, you know players are going to get hurt. Why not? If you really want a good product on the field, have a nice – what did you say? 16? With 16 guys I, on the I practice I think it's, it might be 14. I might be wrong, but it's a big number. Right, a big number. Why not just have them? Like a bunch of guys who at least know the system. So when somebody goes down, you don't have to fly them in. Give them a COVID test, probably. Who knows what's going on with that? Learn the system. They're not ready to play. And then you have bad football. I mean, I think everybody wants to see good football. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, this has been a lot of fun. It always is to have you on, Jason. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work. Sure, it's Huddle It Up Films. Uh, that's uh, the Huddle It Up is comes from my actual, actually my JV quarterback who used to say Huddle It Up instead of Huddle Up. So I decided to go with Huddle It Up Films. And uh, also, there's a Huddle Up podcast for. There's a ton, ton of Huddle Ups out there. So Huddle It Up Films on both uh, YouTube and Twitter. I'm looking to. Get my youtube up a little bit i'd like to get to a thousand subscribers so i could do more with my video have some celebrities like ken on there and, and all that kind of <laughs> good stuff you could have me anyway buddy <laughs> but yes um, but i appreciate the support and i love my football family out there and um, have a lot of fun on twitter i'll i'll, I'll interact with you and um, I, I love hearing everybody's opinion you know you said something earlier about uh, how you watch the games and me and you could be standing at say at a at a function and we can hear some screaming and yelling over there and we can watch an altercation and uh, people get into it and I could say Ken man did you see that one person What you know <laughs> why, why was he doing that and you could say nah man it was the other person's fault and well we, we need so, to slow
4: down the video and actually go back frame by frame
2: we have to go frame by <laughs> frame but, but yeah my, my point is two people can watch the exact same thing and we can all have different we can all help each other so there's there's no such thing as a, as a poor opinion I love hearing from everybody so um, please you know feel free to comment on, uh, on my videos or on my tweets and I'll interact with you. I love it. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Folks, if you're out there, uh, this is the time of year
4: I really love to hear from people who are passionate about football and want to talk about whatever. You know, if you want to talk about why the Ravens use more or less of the fullback that's a great thing. I'd love to talk to you about uh, why you like a particular player to be a dark horse on this team. Love to talk to you about that. Have you on for 15, 20 minutes, narrow focus topic. We kind of go through it quickly and we, and we go a little bit back and forth. That's the kind of, kind of material that we love to produce on a daily basis here. Cause people want their full fill of Ravens football
2: 365 days a year. And I'd like to fill as many of those as we can. We're getting uh, close, Ken. I don't know about you, but it feels like, it feels like the worm is turned. I feel like it's, five o'clock in the morning and we're just waiting for one o'clock yeah there you go there you go it is exciting well jason
4: thanks again for coming on thank you so much ken and we'll talk to you next time on film
0: study